what does it mean to be relatable? Uh, the, in March, the, the CEO of Goldman Sachs said that young people want to work for someone who's relatable. What does that mean? Uh, he said, if you think about it, when he was in his 20s, a CEO of a bigger organization was like up in this ivory tower, you know, detached from the rest of the people, unavailable, un unavailable to the rest of the people, especially the, the younger workers of the company. You could barely get near them. But today, younger people want a, an employer, a boss that's accessible, relatable. John Maxwell says that the best leaders are relatable. Being relatable, he says, doesn't mean that you're best friends with everybody or that you bribe people with your words or your actions to like them. Maxwell says that being relatable means that you're authentic, that you're genuine, that you be yourself. Are you ever afraid to be yourself? I mean, ever afraid to, to speak up? You're out in public or you're maybe you're around somebody that you, you don't know very well and you're afraid that, or maybe it's around a pretty girl or a good-looking man and you're just afraid to say something that's just going to embarrass yourself. You ever been there? Ever, some, you ever met somebody who behind closed door I mean they are the most outgoing person in the world but then you get them out in public and they clam up they don't say anything they're just a completely different person why is that I'm not sure about you but I, I can be that way at times I, I at the same time I, I try my very best to be myself I mean I, I try my very best to be the same person today on Sunday as I am tomorrow and and I'm not always perfect at that I think we all kind of struggle with that at times and but at the same time, you know, the goal is to be relatable, to be accessible, to be authentic and genuine and real. If you look at today's passage of Scripture, we see a side of God we didn't see last week. At least not to this extent. And what I mean by this, I just, just pretend for a moment that what you know about God is only limited to Genesis 1 and 2. I mean, just forget, just pretend for a second. That's all you know. I mean, you don't, you're reading this book for the very first time. And I mean, you read last week, chapter 1, and this week we're looking at chapter, I mean, and all you see from, I mean, God last week was much more of the CEO of the, in the ivory tower, right? And today, I think what you're going to see is a God that's much more relatable. Not that God wasn't relatable last week or that God wasn't authentic or genuine or anything like that. That's not a criticism of who God was in chapter 1. But I think what we're going to see today is a little bit more of God's personality, if we can say that. Chapter 2, verse 4. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. 
In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no bush on the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had caused it to rain on the land and there was no man to work the ground and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground and the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature. There are some scholars that believe and even in seminary this is something that we were taught Genesis 1 and 2 are two different creation stories. Some even believe that it's two different people that are telling these stories. Kind of like what we see in the Gospels of the story of Jesus in the New Testament. I don't think, I, I can't agree with this. And I think Moses wrote both of these chapters. And I think this is just a closer uh, explanation, a closer look at man's creation. One theologian I read this week said that chapter 2 is just a theological expansion of chapter 1. It sets the stage also for the upcoming chapters. I think that's a good way of looking at it. It's a theological expansion of chapter 1. I wish I would have came up with that myself, you know what I mean? But as we discussed last week, the crown of creation is man, friends. The crown of creation. You are that crown. Today we begin to look, to look at man's first day. And we see in verse 4 and 5 and 7 that the Lord God, and notice there's a name change here. I mean, in chapter 1, it's just God, Elohim. But here in chapter 2, we have the Lord God. I mean, the word Elohim means creator, sustainer of all things. And the word Yahweh, which is where we get the word Lord from, it's not just the creator and sustainer, but it's the savior and redeemer. That's a bit more personal, is it not? Creator, sustainer, savior, redeemer. We see this, I mean, even in the name of who God is in chapter 2, this personal side of God that we didn't see in the first chapter. Verse 7, God forms man of the dust from the ground. Friends, I don't know about you, but I don't know how God did this, you know. Uh, I wasn't there, you know. We don't have YouTube. That there wasn't iPhones back there to record it. I mean, but I just, when I think about, when I read this, and I just, maybe I let my imagination go a little bit. I just think God is reaching down from the heavens, and he's using his hands to, to form God. I mean, to form man. And I just think, I mean, he is, I mean, he is the builder. He is the potter. And, and we are the, I mean, that's just, he is knitting together man. Listen to what King David says about God creating him in Psalm 139. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and I'm wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Friends, God has given each of us life. Adam was just the first one to do it, but God is the giver of life, friends. And he knit you together in your mother's womb. And just as intentional as he was with Adam, he is an intentional 
the same intention, the same detail he has with each of you. I mean, that's just a humbling thing, is it not? That God knit you together in your mother's womb. And the same detail, the same focus that God had with Adam, he has with each of us. <laughs> Verse 8. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the, the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Verse 10, a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first was Pishon, and it was the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, and there was gold, and the gold of that land is good, and Bedelium and onyx stone are there. And the name of the second river is Gion, and it is the one that flowed out of the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is Tigris, which flows from Assyria, and the fourth river is Euphrates. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat it, you shall surely die. I have a feeling this is just a hunch, an educated hunch, though. I mean, that the Garden of Eden was just a little bit different than the garden that's in our backyard, you know. The Garden of Eden was just a little bit different. Little is known about it, though, friends. I mean, a lot of different theories, a lot of different speculations. People have, you know, the things they want to write about, and they, they certainly do about the Garden of Eden. Uh, but let's just look at Scripture here and, and find out what, what do we know about the Garden, just from Scripture. Here's, here's a few things, okay? The first is God is there. God is present in the garden. It's pretty significant that God is absolutely 100% present in the garden. It says a lot about the garden. That if God can be there, it must be a pretty good place. Two, man is there as well. And so we have God there, man is there, and they have fellowship with one another. If we go back to chapter 1 and chapter, we look forward to the next few verses, we will see that also the, the animals are there as well. So you have man, you have God, you've got the animals. There are four rivers that flow from the one river that is in Eden. The river that's in Eden watered the garden. Think about that for a second. There, there's, we also read here at the beginning of this chapter that the water, there's mist that kind of came out of the land, right? And that watered the earth. But there was no rain. Now, rain I mean, rain had not come until when? We know our Bible. We know that rain didn't come until time of what? Noah. And so here we have a river, we have mist, and that's what irrigates all of the land of the garden.
There's also, chapter 2 says that there's no bush. There's no weeds. No, nothing has sprung up out of the ground. Isn't that, wouldn't that be great? I mean, like, I hate weed eating, friends. Like, I, I despise it. I hate it. And I, I mean, like, I, I hate it. So I pay somebody to do it in my own yard. You know what I mean? Like, I just, there is something about it. Like, I, I know when I'll be in heaven because there will be no more weeds to deal with. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like I'm, I'm looking forward to that day, you know. But there is none here. Nothing to care for, nothing to keep up. There are two trees that are named. The tree of life is a sign of immortality and, and fellowship with God. And then the second tree is the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Forbidden to eat of this tree. You, man could eat from any tree he wanted to. But this one. This tree of the knowledge of good and evil is forbidden. It gave man independence from God. We'll talk about more of this next week, so I don't want to go in too far with this, but this was a, one way that man could really mess up, friends. Uh, an opportunity for man to sin, to be disobedient. And up to this point, we haven't seen anything like this in all of creation, where man had the opportunity to be disobedient, to sin. Again, the tree of life gives you fellowship with God, and the tree of knowledge ruins that. Make no mistake about this, friends. Man chooses their relationship with God. From the very beginning, we see this. And we see that God desires to have a relationship with man. From the very beginning of creation, from the very beginning of time, God has made it very intentional to have a relationship, to have fellowship with man. And man has a choice whether or not they want to have fellowship with God. They have that opportunity to choose. God gives them that choice. In each of our lives, friends, make no mistake about it, you have a choice to have fellowship with God or not. And when you choose not to, that mistake is called sin. God desires, he calls each of us into a relationship with him. And we have a choice to say yes to that or no to that. And each and every day, God is calling us to him, beckoning us, to have a relationship with him. The creator, sustainer, God wants to have a relationship with you. And make no mistake about it, friends. The only reason you do not have a relationship with him is because of yourself. God desires to have a relationship with you. And if you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, if you never had a, a relationship with God, that's on you. Friends, the reason you're here is because God has called you here. He's created you. He's sustained you. He could take away your life at any moment in time, friends. He desires to have a relationship with each of you. If you're here today, know that God loves you and wants to have a relationship. He wants to be in fellowship with you. The reason that you don't is because of your choice, because of your sin. And every time that we sin, friends, make no mistake about it, we are choosing 
this world over our God, the creator and sustainer of all things. God desires to have a relationship with you. I mean, is that not enough? Is that not enough? The God of all things wants to have a relationship with you. Verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the garden the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man names, gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was, no, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God causes a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed it up its place with flesh. And the rib that was the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to man. And the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She should be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man should leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they should become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and we're not ashamed. You ever wonder, when you think about Adam and, and God creating Adam, you ever wonder how old he was? I mean, like on day one, was he a teenager? Was he a 20-year-old? Was he 30? Was he 40? Did he, I mean, like, you ever wonder about, okay, when we, there is a, you think about Adam and Eve. I mean, they are the only people born As an adult, you know, I mean, like, we're all, I mean, peanuts. We begin as like a peanut, you know, in the womb. And like Adam and Eve, they are walking around. You know what I mean? Like their first day, they get up and they walk. Just think about that for a second, you know. I wonder how old they were. I mean, think about where you're at in your life. How many teachers you've had? How many Sunday school teachers or high school teachers or mentors, parents, grandparents to teach you what you know today? You know, I mean, you're here not because of your own. I mean, like you've had people invest in your life. I mean, Adam and Eve, they, I mean, just think about Adam for a moment. I mean, he's there naming animals. <laughs> he's got no one to talk to, no one to, I mean, he is just, that's a bear. That's a cat. That's a dog. I, I mean, he's got no, I mean, maybe he's getting things done because he has to have a wife telling him that he's wrong all the time. But <laughs> I mean, but. I think, I think there's, I mean, just think about that for a second. I mean, here's a guy, he's got no point of reference at all. And he's, he's out there just naming animals, you know. And he's alone. And God sees this about him and says, it's not good. 
for you to be alone. I mean, here he is in the garden. And there's not a weed that needs to be pulled. You know, dinner doesn't need to be. I mean, there is nothing wrong at all with the garden. No plumbing that needs to be fixed. I mean, there's nothing, no honeydew. I mean, it is perfect. And yet there's still something inside of him that's missing. Friends, we are created for community, to be with one another. I mean, from the very beginning, it doesn't matter what situation, what circumstances, the best of circumstances, we are still in need. God takes from Adam's rib and he created a woman. Think about this for a second. God could have taken any bone or could have not even used a part of Adam to create woman, but he did. And he created it from a, a bone from his side, a helper that was to be by his side for the rest of his life. I don't think it's by accident that God chose a bone that he pulled from his side to have a helper by his side. <laughs> As the text says here, they were to leave their mother and their father and the two should become one. I uh, think about this past week, you know, and... Uh, The Queen of England passed away, Queen Elizabeth. Uh, I'm not a a British historian, you know, like I, I, I'm not even a big fan of British royalty. I'm really glad, just to be honest with you, that we don't have a queen and a king here in the United States. I'm glad that George Washington, our first president, wouldn't allow other people to call him and appoint him to be the king of the United States of America. We just... I mean, that's just, we've got a lot of problems in, the, in America. Can you imagine if we had some sort of royal family to complicate things? I mean, think about our tax dollars for a minute. How much tax dollars gets wasted as it is? Can you imagine? I mean, oh my goodness. <laughs> uh, but at the same time, like, I, I think it's, a, I mean, just amazing that we have this queen here that for 70 years was on the throne. 70 years. And that's, I mean, most of us, for our entire life, this woman has been queen. It's just amazing, you know. And you read about some of the stories this week about her character and, you know, everything, you know, obviously, you're not going to hear a lot of negative, but just, I mean, people over and over and over again, you hear people commenting on her character and her, her nobility and her Humility and her willingness to be really just a community servant, so to speak. She was known for her humility, for her service, and her faith. And yet, at the same time, I, in my own personal, you know, thoughts, I, I, I kind of find it hard to be able to relate to somebody like that, you know. 
Uh, I read this week that, that the royal family can't have vacuum cleaners in their house, you know, because it makes too much noise, you know. That's this hard to relate to, you know. I don't know. I, I, I read this week, though, that the queen, she, uh, she longed for her Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to return during her lifetime. That was something that she wanted to be able to do. And when asked why she wanted to do that, she said, because I longed to be able to take the crown from my head and to be able to put it at the feet of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I, can, I don't have a crown, but I like that, you know. You know, here's a, a woman that for 70 years has been royalty. And yet here she is saying, I, I need Jesus. As, as great as I might be, there's still someone that's greater. I think that's something I can relate to. Not that I'm great. But I know there's someone greater. And there are times when I can be full of myself and, and think, man, I'm, I'm pretty awesome or, man, I'm doing such a great job or I, I've got such a great family or... And then there are other times I look at my life and I think, man, I've really messed this up worldly. said something I shouldn't have said. I, I've done something I shouldn't have done. I, I've made a mistake. I don't, I don't deserve to be up here. I don't deserve to, to have this job or this title. Or, man, I just desperately need Jesus. I just long for him to return. Because I don't know what's going on in your life, but I don't know how great of a person you are or but I know this, make no mistake about it. There's not one person in this room that is exempt from their need for Jesus Christ. Each and every one of us, friends, is in need of a savior. And if you think for any moment of time that that savior is, is anybody other than Jesus, then you've been fooled been lied to. The only way to the Father is through the Son, Jesus. And God truly does desire to have a relationship with you. From the very beginning of time, friends, God desires to have a relationship. He wants to be near you. And friends, we as sinners, the only way that's possible is through Jesus Christ. That's the only way. There's no other way. Our sin keeps us from fellowship with God because God is perfect. He's holy and he's just and he will not allow for that to be in his midst. But Jesus Christ allows for that to happen. It washes away our sin and it cleanses us from the unrighteousness that is in our life.
and gives us the grace that we need to have fellowship with God. Jesus Christ is the only way that's possible. And I pray that today that you would see your need for Jesus. That Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life that no one comes to the Father except through him. We're going to sing a song of invitation. And I want to invite you to, to ask the Lord to speak to you today. And however God is speaking to you today, I know one thing, that he desires to have fellowship with you. And whatever is keeping that from happening, I pray that you would allow for this to be a time where you do business with the Lord. And so maybe you need to repent of sin, and maybe you need to accept Jesus Christ. Maybe you need to go and say you're sorry to a brother or a sister or a friend, or maybe you just need to be honest with yourself. But, I, but trust me when I say that this is the best time that you have all week to do that. There isn't a greater time that God has given to you than right here, right now, to do business with the Lord. And I pray that you will not waste this opportunity, that you won't let this slip by, that you would worship, that you would truly worship the Lord in spirit and in truth and allow for your worship to be genuine, to be divine, that it would change who you are, that you would respond with honesty, that you would have fellowship with God. Father, we give you thanks for this day. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather together in this place. I pray, Lord, that you would just allow us this moment in time to be be free of distraction, to be honest with ourselves, to be honest with you, to not worry about other people, not worry about what other people are thinking or what they're doing, but to be faithful and true. Lord, help us to have a, a relationship with you that's, that's honest, that's genuine, that's relatable. Lord Jesus, we love you. Pray all these things in your name. And all God's people said.